John chapter 12, verses 12 through 25. John chapter 12. It's called Palm Sunday because we have read how that they <clears throat> took palms, palm leaves out of the trees and began to wave them and put them down on the ground, welcoming who they wanted to be the next king of Israel. So John chapter 12, as you find that, look up at me so I'll know you're ready to, to read. <clears throat> okay, John 12, 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Notice, even the king of Israel. So Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, which was the previous day, and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast, were some, gen or some Gentiles or some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, Truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and die, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And so we see then the um, presentation of the Lord for a very unique purpose. Now the crowd thought that he was presenting himself as the next king. You could see that in the verses that we read. Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of Israel, the king of Israel. But that's not why Jesus was presenting himself. This was a fulfillment of prophecy. The Bible specifically says, and go back to Zechariah 
and you'll see why he was coming. Now, Zechariah is the next to the last book of the Old Testament. That'll help you find it. So, Zechariah, Malachi, and then the Old Testament is done. So, find Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9 is the prophecy that is now being fulfilled on this day. So follow along with me. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Underline those, ter- those words, having salvation is he. He was presenting himself as the savior of the world. Not the king of the nation, but the savior of the world. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In other words, a young donkey, and we will see in another passage of scripture in a few moments, one upon whom no one had ever ridden. Brand new donkey. Now, sometimes we have a tendency to say, a donkey? That's strange. Well, now, back in that day, rich people rode donkeys. The common folk walked. Just about everywhere they went, they just, they walked. But those that were people of significance rode donkeys. The Bible tells us that when, when David was coming back into the the uh, city of Jerusalem after the uh, Absalom rebellion had taken place, he rode on a donkey. It also says that, that when Solomon was on his way to the coronation to be crowned as the king of Israel, he rode a donkey. And uh, so we see that, uh, that um, rulers rode donkeys. In fact, here's the significance. They rode donkeys in the time of peace, but they rode horses in the time of war. So what is Jesus doing? He's not presenting himself as the conqueror of the nation of Israel to to start a war with Rome and take over the kingdom. That's not why he came. But he was coming to offer peace. Boy, does this world ever need peace. Amen? Amen. We'll look for it everywhere, but the Bible specifically calls him the Prince of Peace. So he's offering himself as the Prince of Peace. He's offering himself to those who need peace in their hearts. Now, one day, Jesus will come riding on a horse. Turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 19. Last book of the New Testament. Revelation chapter 19 says that that at the end of what's known as the tribulation, that's a a time of of horrible persecution and, and, and crises and God just pouring his judgment on the earth for seven years, at that, the end of that period of time, the Bible says that Jesus will come from heaven, will come with him. And notice what it says in verse number 11, Revelation 19, 11. 
Then I saw heaven open, and behold, what? A white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes what? Makes war. So now Jesus is coming to make war against Satan, against all the powers of hell that have been ruling and in control of the earth for this seven-year period of time. And Jesus is now coming on a horse to fight a war, to win a battle. But on the day of the, of the presentation of himself into the city of Jerusalem, he was riding a donkey. He was coming to present peace. You know, he's still doing the same thing today. Amen? When folks are just racked with, with doubts and, and, and fear and uncertainty, Jesus said, I have come to give you peace. Not, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why? Because he said, he said, yes, in this world you will have tribulation, but what? You can be of good cheer. Isn't that amazing? You're going to have problems, but you can be of good cheer. Why? Because he said, I have overcome the world. And then when we accept him as our personal Savior, we accept the overcomer who enables us to overcome whatever issues, whatever problems we're facing. Now, has that happened in your life? Have you experienced the peace that Jesus is offering to the world? Praise God, he's not just offering it to a select few. Amen? Aren't you glad that, that uh, on this day, he is now expanding the offer from just presenting himself as the, the, the one that brings peace to the nation of Israel. But he's now saying, my time is, is now come. And he said to the Gentiles, my time has now come. And he is offering the new covenant. Amen? That new covenant that is open to everybody. If you're not a Jew, you had no hope prior to this day. But on this day, Jesus said, everything's changing. Now, he said, I'm going to present my life as a sacrifice to pay for your sins so you don't have to pay for your own. So you can then find peace with God and know the God of peace in your hearts. What a privilege that is. Now, <clears throat> When all of this happened, he was basically forcing the Jewish leaders into action. You see, the Bible says he had raised Lazarus from the dead the previous day. This is John chapter 12 that, that we were reading. Go back there. John chapter 12 follows John chapter 11, obviously. Duh! <laughs> And in John chapter 11, you have a wonderful story of 
Lazarus becoming sick, the sisters sent word to Jesus, hey, listen, the one that you love is sick, and uh, Jesus didn't come. He waited for him to die. Why? He wanted to show that he had power over death. Did anybody else have power over death? Could anybody else raise anyone from the dead? No. And so he comes finally on the scene. The sisters are crying, Lord, if you'd have been here, you wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Amen. Not only did he come to give peace, but he came to give eternal life. So he, ro- he raised Lazarus from the dead, walked out of the tomb. He'd been dead four days. Now, the Jews believed that your spirit hovered over your dead body for three days after you died. Isn't that strange? They believed your spirit was still there for three days, but after that, spirit was gone. So it's not insignificant that it was four days after he died. So there was no hope. His spirit was gone. (laughs) And Jesus shows up. Amen? That's what Jesus always does. When there's no hope, oh, I'm telling you, in my 76 years, I've heard so many wonderful testimonies of people that, that said, listen, I had no hope. I, I, was, I was at the end of, my, uh, of myself. I didn't know where to turn. Uh, nobody loved me. I, I didn't feel like there was any purpose in life. Then Jesus came. Amen? One sat alone beside the highway begging. His eyes were blind. The light he could not see. He clutched his rags and shivered in the shadows. Then Jesus came and bade his darkness flee. When Jesus comes, the tempter's power is broken. Amen? When Jesus comes, the tears are washed away. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is passing by today. Today. There's an opportunity for you, if you've never experienced the peace that Jesus is offering, that opportunity is open to you today. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Amen. So what a precious privilege it is. So, so this presentation of, of himself on Palm Sunday forced the leaders of the nation of Israel to, to, uh, to do something. And so <laughs> he had raised Lazarus from the dead the day before. All the crowds were talking about it. Everybody that had been there uh, in the, in the, on the scene and saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. The Bible says they were all talking about it. And so the Jewish leader said, man, we got to do something. All the world is going after him. 
And, and, and so, consequently, we, we, in fact, the Bible says, uh, go back, uh, John chapter 12 and verse 10. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. <laughs> the religious leaders were saying, yeah, boy, I, we don't know what to say. I mean, Lazarus was dead. Jesus raised him from the dead. We need to get rid of Lazarus. Mm. What a testimony. Don't, don't you know Lazarus had a testimony? Don't you know what he was able to say? Like, listen, uh, you talk about after-death experiences. He could tell the world, God's real. The power of Jesus is real. My life has been changed. And so, what a testimony they had. So, it, it caused them to have to, to, uh, to take a stand, to do something. In fact, when Jesus was presenting himself on this day, the Bible says he went through the sheep gate. There were gates all around the city, and they were all named different types. Of, he went through the sheep gate. Why? Because he was the Lamb of God. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? The Lamb of God. Who would have thought that a lamb could bring about redemption? John the Baptist pointed him out in John 1.29. Behold, the Lamb of God, who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Whew. So, he went through the sheep gate, <clears throat> presenting himself as, as, uh, as the, the sheep. But we see that this adoring crowd, that are, they're saying, Hosanna, and, and, and all types of things. For some reason, they changed their tune <laughs> later on. Now, what were they trying to say? Uh, turn to, uh, to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And you'll see in verse number 35. Luke 19, 35. Here's the same story recorded by Luke, the triumphal entry. And they brought it to Jesus, speaking of the, of the young colt, brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice, praise God with a loud voice, for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the what? King. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven 
glory in the highest. Peace. So he's coming to present peace. And uh, we see that the leaders had to do something. They basically were saying, we got to get rid of this guy. Now, have you ever wondered why five days later, this adoring crowd or some crowd were saying, crucify him? I always wondered about that for the longest time. How could you have a crowd on the triumphal entry saying, Hosanna, that means save us now. It is a salvation plea. How, how could you have a crowd crying out that he was the one that, that had come to save them, and five days later be crying out, crucify him? Now, there's several possibilities. First of all, there's a very good possibility that, that they were different crowds. This crowd may have been uh, visitors from uh, the surrounding area, visitors from some other area uh, of the country, and, and, and not those that, that uh, later said crucify him. may have been a different crowd. But it could have been that that crowd thought, we're begging him to become the king of Israel. We're asking him, overthrow the Roman government. Did he do it? No. And so consequently, there's a good possibility, if it's the same crowd, that they said, wow, he's of no value. He, he, didn't, he didn't answer my prayers. He didn't meet what, what I thought my desires and my dreams would be. You know, there are a lot of people that are in the same way. There was a survey taken one time trying to figure out why young people turned away from Christianity. The number one reason was this. They were disappointed in Jesus. Sometimes they said, my, my, my friend's dad was dying of cancer, and so I began to pray that, that, that he would be cured of his cancer, and he wasn't, and he died. Or, or maybe my parents were getting a divorce, and so I began to pray that, that God would stop the divorce, and he didn't, and they got a divorce. Disappointed in Jesus. As a result of that, not understanding who God is and why Jesus came, they thought Jesus was there to serve them, to answer their prayers, to, to, to be the one that, that would change all the circumstances of their lives, totally misunderstanding. Jesus came to save them, not serve them. There's a big difference. Once Jesus saves us, we serve him. He doesn't serve us. He is not there at our beck and call. He's not a genie that you just kind of rub the lamp and he shows up. 
and does what you want to do. And so consequently, young people became disappointed in Jesus and they turned away from God. Have you ever become disappointed in Jesus? What's, it, what, what's the tendency then? Just kind of, ah, the Bible isn't, and prayer isn't, nah, that doesn't work. And just kind of turn around and walk away from the Lord. You know, that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to give up on the concept of God, but your concept of God needs to change. You need to understand that Jesus came for one purpose, and we saw that in Zechariah 9. He came to save us, to forgive our sins, to change our lives, not to overturn the political uh, arena of our country. Amen? Jesus didn't come for political gain. <clears throat> Jesus came for individual change. Have you ever accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Have you ever said, man, I'm, my life needs to change. I'll tell you what it takes. Repentance and faith. That's it. Repentance and faith. You repent of your sin. You say, Lord, I need to change. I want to change. I'm sorry for the way I've been living. That's repentance. Lord, forgive me. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins so that I could have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Not only forever, but right now, a change in my life, a new purpose. I'm here to tell you, when you trust Christ as your personal Savior, you get a new purpose in life. Because he takes over, and he begins to give you understanding of his plan for your life, with his wisdom. And what a blessing it is. I was saved at the age of six. I'm so grateful because, boy, I tell you what, I had an independent spirit. Now, is there another term for that? Rebellion. Oh, rebellion. Oh, who said rebellion? I don't like you. <laughs> I, I'd rather call it an independent spirit. But, but can you imagine my life if I'd not been changed? If the Lord hadn't come in, where would I be? I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be standing here preaching today. I wouldn't have given my life for the ministry. I would have been living my life for myself, probably been in jail somewhere. Amen. Independent spirit. <laughs> That's another word for rebellion. Amen. But Jesus came saved my life and I praise the Lord for it now as you see the Lord coming in and, and, and presenting himself as the as the savior of the world <clears throat> it, it was totally misunderstood by the crowd that was there but yet 
Jesus was presenting himself as the conqueror over sin, over Satan. Take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Here is the victory that Jesus was offering. Ephesians chapter 6. And verse 12. Ephesians verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we see then that it was a spiritual battle that was being fought. Now go back two chapters to chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. And I want you to notice verse number 8. The palm leaves were symbols of victory. <laughs> and so he is presenting himself as the one who brings peace but as the one who will bring victory over Satan. I'm here to tell you, Satan hates you. He doesn't want the best for your life. He wants to use you, abuse you, and then throw you away. That's his plan. He hates you, but Jesus loves you. And so here's the battle. Satan is the prince and power of the air. He's the ruler of this world right now until Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom at the end of the tribulation period of time. But until then, there's a battle that takes place. Notice Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he that also descended into the lower regions, the earth, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things and gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so we see then that it says that there was a battle that was going to take place. When Jesus died, his body was in the grave for three days. But his spirit went to paradise. Now, you remember when Jesus said to the thief on the cross, when the thief said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus said, today thou shalt be what? With me in paradise. Why did Jesus go to paradise? The Bible says that he went to remove all of those who had been staying in paradise 
waiting for his death on the cross. Nobody gets to heaven without the, the offering of himself and, and as a sin sacrifice. And once he trusts Christ as their personal Savior, they're tr- trusting in his death on the cross to save them from their sins. But the Bible tells us that prior to his death, Luke chapter 16, remember the story of the rich man that died without Christ and Lazarus that died and he was a believer? The Bible says in Luke chapter 16 that he was there with Abraham. Lazarus was with Abraham. And then there was the rich man. And the Bible says there was a great gulf between them. What is that? Hades and paradise were in the same location with a great gulf between them. But there was conversation that could take place. Remember the rich man said to Abraham, send Lazarus. May dip his finger in some water. Cool my tongue. I'm tormented in this flame. Well, what in the world is going on? The Bible then tells us right here that when Jesus' body was in the grave, his spirit went to Hades, went to paradise, and he preached, the Bible says, he preached to the, the demons that were uh, there in hell. That's in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 19. Uh, this is a, kind of a long story, but, but he basically was saying, I have won the victory over all of you demons that have been opposing me. My death on the cross has made it possible for me to now take all of these folks who have been waiting for my crucifixion and resurrection. I am now taking all of them to heaven. He is, it's, it says everybody that, that was there in that place was taken back to heaven. Then it says he gave gifts unto men. Gifts unto men, it says right in the next few verses, those were the spiritual gifts that he gave to the folks in the church. Your spiritual gift to be used to reach other people for Christ. So we see then that it was a victory over Satan himself. When Jesus said on the cross, it is what? Finished. Aren't you glad you don't have to work for your salvation? Amen? Some folks will say, well, I gotta work, I gotta work to get it. Other folks say, I've got to work to keep it. No, no, no. The work's already been done. Jesus completed the work on the cross. It is finished. And so, what a blessed truth that is. And then the last part of our story in John chapter 12, the Gentiles came and said, we would see Jesus. Now, for the first time, Jesus said, my hour has come. Many times before, uh, there were folks that would come to him and say, Lord, would you help me? And there were Gentiles, and he said, my hour has not yet come. Remember that? But now he said, my hour has come. In other words, because I am ready to die on the cross, 
I am now offering salvation to everybody. But there's an interesting fact here. There was an intermediary that was necessary for these Gentiles. They came to Philip. Philip came to Andrew. The two of them came to Jesus. And they said, these folks want to meet you. They need salvation too. Did you know that many times intermediaries are needed to bring people to Christ? Amen. God uses individuals. He used Philip. He used Andrew to bring these folks to Jesus. My question is this. Who is it that God is trying to reach through you? That's a good question, isn't it? God wants you to be an intermediary. Are you willing to take that stand? Pastor David mentioned my grandpa and my grandma earlier in the service. And I thought that's exactly what my, what my mother did. My dad was serving in Germany in World War II. He came home for two weeks, R&R. &R. And so the folks in the area there in Wisconsin threw a dance in his honor. So he went to the dance. All of the young adults were invited to go to the dance. My mother went to the dance. She didn't know Maynard, had no clue, but she just knew there wasn't much going on, but a dance was being offered, so she's going to go to the dance. She met my dad that night, and something began to develop, like, hmm, hmm, yeah. So he said, can I see you tomorrow? And she said, uh, we can work that out. They saw each other every day for two weeks. At the end of the two weeks, my dad was getting ready to go back to Germany, and my mother said, you know, it sure would be neat if we could find something that we could both be reading at the exact same time every day that you're not in battle. My dad's job was to take the ammunition to the front lines. And so many times he was involved in battle. But she said, whenever you're not in battle, we could figure out the time difference and we could be reading the same thing at the same time. And he said, well, like what? She said, well, maybe we could read the same chapter of the Bible. And he said, the Bible? Uh, I don't know a Bible. She said, well, I've got two Bibles. I'll give you one. He said, okay. He was interested in her, not the Bible. <laughs> and so they decided where they would start reading. He went back to Germany. And every night that he wasn't in battle, he read a chapter of the Bible. She read the same chapter of the Bible in Wisconsin in her little farmhouse. Night after night after, week after week after week, this was going on. They're writing letters back and forth, and pretty soon she realized, I think this man's falling in love with me. I think maybe I'm falling in love with him, but he's not a Christian. 
mm, that's not going to work. So one Saturday, she was reading her chapter of the Bible and got under conviction. And she thought, Lord, it's not going to work. I'm going to go to church the next day and I'm going to rededicate my life to the Lord and come back and write him a Dear John letter. You know what those are. Dear John, oh, how I hate to write. Yeah. One of those breakup letters, yeah. So that's what she did. She went to church the next day, rededicated her life to the Lord, came back to her farmhouse, sat down, wrote him a letter saying, because you're not a Christian, we, we can't continue this relationship. Now, what she didn't know was, on that same Saturday night, he's in a beer garden in Germany. He's drinking, but he leaves early because he's got to get back to the, to, to the barracks to read his chapter of the Bible. On his way out of the beer garden, he knows a sign on the wall says, chapel services held here Sunday morning, and he laughed. <laughs> he thought, chapel in a beer garden? Oh, that's rich. Yeah, right. So he went back, and he read his chapter of the Bible, and he got under conviction. And he said, you know, my life needs to change. I don't know anything about this change that needs to take place, but I think I'll go back to the beer garden tomorrow morning and hear what the chaplain has to say. So when my mother is going to church, rededicating her life to the Lord, he goes to the beer garden, and for the first time in his life, he hears the gospel, the good news of how his life can change, how he can find peace, how he can find Christ, and he trusts Christ as his personal Savior. He goes back to the barracks and writes her a letter and says, I just trusted Christ as my Savior. Now, the letter's crossed in the mail. So when my mother got the letter, she thought, oh yeah, he got my letter and... And then she realized, no, no, he hadn't gotten my letter by the time he went to church. Wow. Maybe he really did get saved, and he did. And because of that, generations now, our lives have changed. God's given us a purpose to live. And I'm here to tell you, it's the greatest life in the world. Yeah. Would you bow your heads together in prayer?